Hello, I'm Helen Daly. Welcome to Build It, Thou Come. Candid interviews with amazing Australian entrepreneurs who started with a humble idea and built it into something substantial and sustainable. It's the human face behind how they built it. On today's episode... What we're trying to do is create flexible working opportunities for people and create as many jobs as we can and really unleash the imagination of the community as to how they can use those skills for the better of the world. In part two of my chat with Airtasker co-founder Tim Fung, he reveals that one of his first pocket money jobs as a kid, plucking grey hairs from his dad's head, was really what started him on his entrepreneurial journey. Now, even though the recently publicly listed Airtasker has so far made no profit in its nine years of operation, According to Tim, the company's $143 million in total sales through the marketplace just last year alone is testament to their mission being on track. And that mission, says Tim, is to empower people to realize the full potential and value of their skills. And that mission, he says, is what motivates him much more than making it onto the AFR 2020 Young Rich List. So how did Airtasker cope as the COVID pandemic threatened to overwhelm Australia's economy in 2020? Well, here's Tim Fung to reveal the surprising answer. Tim Fung, were you always entrepreneurial, even as a kid? Were you always doing things to make money? I did have a few jobs during during high school and I was always interested in business. My dad was always a little bit uh, entrepreneurial, like talking about business. And one of the things I remember early as a kid is that he used to pay me to pluck gray hairs out of his head. And usually he, would, uh, <laughs> usually he would pay me, you know, two or three cents per hair that I was able to extract from his head. But one day I was able to negotiate 10 cents a hair and he fell asleep in front of the TV. So I just sat there pulling out hair after hair after hair. And I, I amassed 250 hairs um, out of his head. He had to pay me $25. And, and that was sort of the first time I remember earning money. And I was pretty stoked with that. Oh, that's extraordinary. So you are a fourth generation, as I understand it, Australian Chinese. So you said your dad was, you know, enjoyed talking about business. Were you folks business people? Were they entrepreneurial? I'm fourth generation Australian on my, my mother's side. She's, you know, original heritage is from China, but has been in Australia since the late 1800s. My dad was born in Hong Kong. They weren't, I wouldn't say, involved in a lot of business. Neither of my parents were business owners, but they did always work for small businesses. And I think being surrounded by, you know, great people doing entrepreneurial stuff definitely rubbed off on them. So were you driven even as a teenager or a young man, or did you just muck around like most young men? I would probably characterize more on the mucking around side of things. I sort of went in, 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 in waves. I did study hard for, for the HSC and, and put in a lot of effort there. And I've sort of wavered between the two, the two styles of being conscientious or being more mucking around. <laughs> so, Tim, what is your yardstick of success for Airtasker? You haven't made a profit yet, have you? No, we're operating cash flow positive at the moment, which has been a really important milestone for us. But ultimately, what Airtask is about is our mission, which is to empower people to realize the full value of their skills. 
And what we're trying to do is create flexible working opportunities for people and create as many jobs as we can. And that, that is our core purpose at Airtasker. So although the product that we've created is about making simple e-commerce for local services, our underlying reason for doing that is to create jobs for people across the world. And I don't think we're ever going to be done in doing that. I think that there's so many skills that people have, and yet most of them are inaccessible to almost everybody because there's no way to be able to actually monetize and and realize um, the value of those skills that people have. We want to unlock that and really unleash the imagination of the community as to how they can use those skills for the better of, of the world. Yeah, so how many taskers do you have? How many customers come to your site now? So today we've had, you know, around 950,000 paying customers in Australia and 150,000 taskers who have earned money and earn money through Airtasker. So we're really scratching the surface. I mean, the opportunity in Australia, according to, to an industry report, the opportunity in Australia is about $52 billion of GMV. And in the global markets that we operate in, it's close to $600 billion of value uh, that we can create. To put that into perspective, this year, Airtasker is on track to meet a forecast of around $143 million in GMV. So we are absolutely scratching the surface of what is a huge opportunity. And just for the uninitiated, GMV? Uh, Sorry, that's uh, gross marketplace volume, which is um, essentially the total sales, inverted commas, that goes through the Airtasker marketplace. So that's an extraordinary growth. I mean, how challenging was that scale up? You said certainly the early years were really tough, but once growth started to come in, how challenging was that? I think it's it's just always something that is changing and evolving at Airtasker. And, you know, as much as I'm probably a victim of that, I'm probably also a perpetrator <laughs> of that uh, constant uh, change. You know, in the early days, it was about getting sales traction. And then it became about, you know, creating the right team structure and hiring the right people. And then as we've started to grow, it's all about, you know, being able to empower people at scale and being able to create new teams chasing new opportunities uh, every day. So, you know, my job as, as, as CEO at Airtask has been fascinating. Every year, it completely changes, you know, the, the areas and the, the types of things that, that I need to focus on. And, you know, that, that's also, you know, the team evolving as we grow and scale the marketplace. What happened during the COVID year? Because particularly when people were in lockdown in the early parts and then Melbourne went into, you know, more severe lockdown, they would have been very nervous about having people in their homes. So it was so interesting. In March of 2020, we saw that marketplace activity dropped by about 14% when the stage three restrictions were announced, you know, across the country. We were very nervous. We actually sat down and I've actually got a photo of the whiteboard in which we sort of contemplated, you know, 80 or 90% drop in marketplace activity. What would this do to, to our company? But what we actually saw was quite, quite remarkable. Because Airtasker, we don't define the service and we don't define the price. We saw that our customers just started asking for different things. So they didn't want a, a cleaner in their home. And they weren't moving homes, so they didn't need removalists, which are two big categories on Airtasker. But they started needing things like COVID-safe shopping deliveries. They started needing 
bike repairs or IT support for the home office. Really? So these categories really increased. And actually, what we saw is that after that 14% drop, we actually saw it bounce back and recover at a faster rate than it had before COVID had started. And so actually, 2020 for Airtasker actually saw an acceleration of growth. And we don't believe that that is a sort of one-off COVID thing. Like it's not people requesting very specific COVID services. It's the fact that our marketplace allows people to ask for whatever they need and it empowers taskers to be able to solve those problems in any way that they see fit. And that that enablement, that empowerment of the community means that it's not Airtasker, the company that needs to adapt. It's the taskers and the customers that adapt. And, and that's really set us up, I think, for success, you know, building something which helps our community. Yeah, wow. So really, when you think about it, it's your customers and your taskers, particularly, say, customers through 2020, that really adapted and made you, you know, pivot or swivel or just work. When did that acceleration of growth start to happen? We had recovered back that 14% reduction by sort of mid-May. And by the end of the year, we were, as I I mentioned, by December of 2020, the growth um, in 2020 was bigger than any other year before it. Yeah, what sort of percentage? Um, So we grew, and I've got to be careful about the prospectus uh, forecast here, but I believe it was about 35% in in gross marketplace volume between December and, and 12 months before that. So pre-COVID, what was your top category of tasks that people wanted done? Well, this is an interesting one. It does open up a a can of worms because um, (laughs) one of the things that uh, that, uh, we believe in at Airtasker is what we call the long tail of services. And uh, what we mean by this is that if you look from the top down at the types of services that occur on Airtasker, you can come to the conclusion that the big categories are things like cleaning, gardening, handyman, and removals. However, when you actually break uh, down a category like cleaning, what you realize is it's not all just the cleaning that pops into your head uh, intuitively, like domestic cleaning. It's actually window cleaning, car cleaning, after-party cleaning, hard drive cleaning, all of these kinds of different long tail of services. And so when you look at it that way, there's actually no one service category that is actually large on Airtasker it's actually this massive long tail of, of smaller services that aggregate together into something that is meaningful. So what about assembling IKEA or flat pack furniture? How important a category has that been for you pre-COVID and now? Well, certainly this is an example of a services industry which people really, really needed. They were screaming for it. How can this service exist? No one you know, really has been able to, in a meaningful way, create a reliable service around that. And so when Airtasker came around, that that immediately became a pretty large category. Last year, we did single digit millions of dollars in GMV, just in, in the furniture assembly category. But as mentioned, even that category, if you if you look at that in the context of you know, $143 million of GMV, is not you know a marketplace defining category. It is just one category within the, the larger Airtasker community. It's just extraordinary, but you're also, you know, sanctioned by IKEA. They IKEA pushes people on to, oh, if you want some help, go and look at Airtasker. Well, that's right, because I think for them, it really enables and unlocks a lot of commerce for them because previously they had to, you know, a lot of customers would think about going to IKEA and then roll their eyes and say, oh, no, I'm not going to do that because I've got to 
I'm going to have to go and do all of this assembly. So it really helps IKEA to, to unlock that commerce. And if you think about a big company like IKEA, even a company like that cannot employ thousands and thousands of people to be assemblers. It doesn't make sense for them because, you know, at Christmas time when people are buying a lot of things, they would need, you know, tens of thousands of people mm. potentially to, to cover all of Australia. But when, say, February comes around and, and they don't need all of those people, it doesn't make sense for them to have employed them. And so really what a marketplace like Airtasker does is it, it allows for like a fluid movement of supply and demand of labor into the categories that, that make sense. Tim, you made it onto the 2020 AFR Young Rich list. How did that make you feel? Was it a proud moment? I would say more a nervousness, anxiety and self-consciousness moment, being in that sort of that list. So I think, you know, certainly something that is a, a nice to have, but, but I can say with hand on heart that that is not my big focus for me at the moment. I think that, you know, what we're doing as a company is, is much more interesting than, you know, any of those kinds of things. Yeah. It's interesting though. You, you, you're obviously going to have to, you know, get used to this idea of perhaps, uh, you know, individual wealth. And I just wonder if you have thought about philanthropy, if you have thoughts about it. Underlyingly, what I love about what we're doing at Airtasker is that we are able to have a positive impact on people's lives through the work that we do. And when we meet the taskers who use Airtasker, we've heard some incredible stories. People who were furloughed from large companies and needed Airtasker to be able to create an income. Yeah. One of our taskers told us that she had been on Centrelink for 20 years and was able to break that cycle because of Airtasker. And so... Really, when we think about having a positive impact on, on the world, my focus right now is definitely on how do we do that through the work that we do at Airtasker. Mm. Why did you decide to become a public company? And still at a time when many people would say, well, you're possibly only a, a medium-sized business now and you know, you're making cash flow positive, but you're not making a profit yet. Well, two main reasons are for us to, to list on the, the ASX. Uh, one of them is that Airtasker is all about creating a marketplace that's built on the foundations of openness, transparency, and accountability. And I think that being a public company actually sets us up well to, to be able to do that and to be able to prove that uh, to customers. You know, they're an open company and you can see how it all works and, you know, that can help to create our trust in the marketplace. So that's one thing. The second thing is that we have very large ambitions at Airtasker. So as we mentioned, the opportunity in Australia is around $52 billion. The global opportunity is more than $600 billion of gross marketplace volume potential. And uh, being a, a listed company enables us to potentially in the future have very agile access to capital to be able to meet that opportunity. Yeah. So, look, also, I imagine, you know, there, there comes a point where you think, well, we can actually do so much more with the capital that is allocated through, you know, a float. But I guess, you know, you'd have to say the possibly exorbitant multiples that you might list at is also an attraction. We're going to be listing, and, and this is part of our prospectus, with a, a, a revenue multiple of around 9.2 times revenue, which I think if you look on pure financial terms. And, you know, I used to work in, in this industry, you know, when you look at yields and things like that, it does look like a pretty big 
multiple. But actually, when you look at our growth rates, our gross margins, and the opportunity that we have ahead, I actually think that you know there's there's lots of room and space in that, and that customers these days and investors are not necessarily looking purely at every investment as a financial yield. I believe that a lot of investors are, are looking for to invest in the companies which can actually have a positive impact on the world. And that is why, you know, things like Tesla and SpaceX are, are companies that are highly valued because investors don't just want to make money out of it. They actually want to support the mission of those companies. Now, you will still be involved completely, won't you? You're not selling any of your stake in Airtasker. No, I'm not. I'm not selling my shares. And, you know, I'm continuing on as the, you know, the CEO and a, and a board director. So, you know, I intend to, to see this thing uh, through. Yeah. So Jono's no longer with you. Did that all end amicably? Yeah, for sure. So Jono needed to, to move overseas, actually, back in 2016. And he was an incredible part of the, the early story for Airtasker. The first four years or five years even of, of building the company, which were incredibly difficult. He saw us through those times. And, you know, I'm really glad that he's going to be rewarded for that during the IPO. But, you know, he's now moved on to, to other things and, and I'm really happy and supportive of that. So in your relatively short entrepreneurial journey, Tim, what has been the most important thing you reckon you've learned? I think there are a lot of uh, learnings that I've taken along the way. And I think that's, you know, one of the fun things about being a, you know, a founder of a company is you get to keep learning every single day. I guess the, you know, one of the lessons that I've taken away amongst many would be, you know, taking advice from people. I think it is really important to be able to listen and stay open to advice and genuinely challenge yourself with curiosity around getting advice from people on how to do things. On the other hand, you have to have a healthy dose of conviction to to be able to know what is right for you and the company that you're building as well. Oh, that's amazing. Was there one breakthrough that you think really set you on your way with Airtasker? I actually think that that is probably another a great learning, which is there was definitely no one day or one event which was like, oh, phew, we made it. You know, like, <laughs> no, we're done. So even that first, say, $2 million from Exto, the external funder, seed funding, or more than seed funding, that you didn't think, oh, phew, we've made it? I think we probably celebrated that for a few hours and then got back to work. <laughs> and if anything, if anything now, like when you, now that you've prompted the question, I would say, you know, another learning from that is it is worthwhile celebrating some of these things because you know, times are really hard in a startup and there's a lot more things that stand in your way than there are, you know, um, successes by number. Uh, so when you do have those successes, you should probably celebrate, but I don't think we did that very well. You are still involved in helping startups and potential entrepreneurs at the University of New South Wales in Sydney? That's right. So, you know, I'm an alumni of, of UNSW, so I'd love to, to help out entrepreneurs there. And I guess maybe this is a chance for me to do a shout out for my own listing uh, on Airtasker. So if you want me to review your pitch deck, uh, you can actually go to Airtasker and you can search for my, my listing and you can buy a startup uh, pitch deck review uh, from me as a tasker. Oh my goodness. <laughs> So you're selling your own services on your own platform. That's right. I'm dog fooding the Airtasker <laughs> marketplace. 
Okay, these are a few questions that I've asked most of my guests. They can be fairly brief answers. What are the key things a CEO or a leader needs to do as you're scaling up these businesses from startup? I think prioritize and uh, be really curious. Ask the right questions and prioritize the, the mission at hand. Do you have any business people who inspired you or who you look up to? So in terms of uh, people that I look up to, I'd say Michael Schumacher is one of the people that I look up to. And the reason for that is that I think he held a really high bar for performance and, you know, he's constantly pushing himself further against that bar and surrounding himself with people who would uh, challenge that. Well, we haven't actually talked about your penchant for driving fast cars on racetracks. Can you summarize in about one line why you love being a rev head? Well, since university, you know, I started driving and as soon as I started driving, I liked driving fast, but, you know, you got to do it in a safe way. So we, we do it on a racetrack and it's a great way to get out of the, you know, the day to day of working on, on a startup. Yeah. And you invite others and they can pay and come and time themselves racing around a track very fast, but as you say, in a safe way. That's right. The reason for that is that we actually couldn't afford to do this hobby in uni when we, when we started to. So, you know, as, as usual, we, we started a company, we would share the costs across a bunch of other people. And by doing that, we were able to, you know, reduce the cost for ourselves. And what does your wife think of this? She's not a massive fan and she hates being in the car. <laughs> oh, okay. Just what are you obsessed about at the moment, be it a, a film, a cause, a book? I've been reading a few global conspiracy type nonfiction uh, books. I've just uh, finished reading Billion Dollar Whale and I'm now reading a book called Blood and Oil, which is about the Saudi Arabian government. Okay. What's the toughest thing you faced in your career? I think the hardest thing about starting a startup is when you don't know what to do next, when the, the field is just so open and there are so many things that you could do and you don't know whether what you're choosing to do is the right thing. So that ambiguity is, is probably the toughest thing that I've had to face. What would you say to young people wanting to pursue an idea or to be entrepreneurial? Make sure that what you're going to pursue is something that you truly believe in. And I, I mean, think about that for weeks before you go out and embark on something because it's going to be tough and you've got to really enjoy uh, what you're doing to be able to push through the hard times. Tim Fung, what's the biggest thing you've learned and that you've loved in your startup journey? What I've really loved about Airtasker and, and building a startup is this idea of user-generated content. And I think that's a pretty technical way of saying empowering other people to be able to use their imagination to help uh, your business grow. With Airtasker, what, what, what keeps me going and what I find so fascinating is when we open up the marketplace and people are using it in a new way that we as a company would never have thought of. And I guess the lesson that you can take away from that is that building something that aligns people together and wants everybody wanting the same thing is a really powerful thing. I hope you enjoyed Build It, Thou Come. Let me know via Twitter and LinkedIn. Better still, let your family, friends and colleagues know by sharing it around your networks. And I'd love you to give it a star rating on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for others to find us. Be sure to subscribe as there are plenty of upcoming episodes you don't want to miss with more amazing innovators and entrepreneurs on how they turn their light bulb idea 
into an empire. 